Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this opportunity to gather together as your people, to bless each other and to be blessed by you as we listen to you, as we receive from you, as we are reminded of your love for us, but also your love for the world, how you are calling us to not just receive from you, but also to take what we receive and take it into the world. As we reflect on your word today, may your Holy Spirit comfort us when we need that comfort. Give us the guidance when we need guidance. And most importantly, remind us of how much you love us and all people. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Not quite sure how you relate to the king, and this is not a, an advert for being a monarchist or a republican, but we have people in our society who relate different to kings and queens. Some people have this automatic bent to go, I want to resist authority, I want to resist the authority of a, a king or a queen. And others people go, no, I want to follow. That's what we should have. It creates good order. Well, today what we're doing is looking at Jesus is the true people's king. And regardless of what you think about a king or a queen, we're encouraging you to to see Jesus as your king, as a king for all people, as a king who's created and involved in creation all of what we have. And our reading near the end of Luke chapter 23 gives us an insight into how Jesus sees himself as a king and what he, how he goes about being a king. Then the criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Before we look into Jesus, if you go search on the net, you'll find there are a number of people, a number of leaders throughout history who are referred as the people's king or queens. There's one missing up there. Um, there's King Edward who abdicated the throne and there's a whole book on him called The People's King. There's Prince Charles who recently has been called The People's King and that's because he has come out publicly and wants to reduce the, the number of royals the monarchy, and he also wants to relate better to the community. The one at the top is Elizabeth I, and she was called the people's king because she loved getting out amongst the people. And there's stories of her at times where she'd go in disguise and go out in the streets and care for them and be the people's king. The gentleman on the right is King Bhutan, the king of Bhutan, And he is called the people's king because of a number of reasons. When COVID hit, he didn't hide hide himself in the um, castle or the royal palace. He got out and helped people who were in need. But not only that, he's introduced democracy into a country that wasn't used to democracy. And so these people are often called the people's kings or queens. And as you read their story, they get this reputation because they listen to people, they relate to people. But they also do what people want at times. And so there's this thing of, of there are the people's king. But Jesus notches it up a level. Jesus does something that none of these kings can do. 
and is truly the people's king. But to understand that, you should, uh, we should also understand the difference between a good and a bad leader, a good and a bad king. If you go back through the Old Testament, you come across kings which are both good and bad. There's nothing wrong with a king in itself, but a king can either get power and use it for good or use it for bad. Good leaders and kings lead to benefit people first. Bad leaders and kings lead to benefit themselves primarily. That's their focus. There's stories in the Old Testament where um, the bad kings would protect themselves and put other people at danger, but also oppress the people that were under their, in their kingdom, whilst the good kings would take the initiative to go out of their road to actually care for people and make sure their communities were cared for. We also see there is also an expectation that comes through in Jesus' time, and we see it in today's reading, that people have this expectation of the Messiah, which simply means the anointed one, that they will use their power first for themselves. And this is a human natural trait, that we think people in leadership are there from first for themselves. One of the things that comes across when I often um, share with people who've got no idea of the church and my pastor, first thing is, so how much do you get paid? Right? And then I kind of have to wiggle about that. And then I ask them other questions and they go, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to be that? Surely you need to look after yourself. You see, our society has developed this thing where we must look after ourselves first. And the thing that comes to mind often is the, you know, the mask, you know, when you're, if you get in the airplane, you know, if the air mask drops, put the mask on yourself first so you can then help somebody else. And some people live by that totally, that they look after themselves first. The problem is they're not interested in putting the mask on anybody else, just themselves. And that's what people's expectations are of the Messiah and the King, not only in today's world, but back in Jesus' world. Three times, in fact, in today's reading, we hear this comment was, if you're the Messiah, go and save yourself. And the last one was, if you're the Messiah, save yourself and us. And sometimes as Christians we can act like that. We can kind of think that God's only come for us little group. This is what the text said. It said the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. And then the soldiers came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. It's quite a natural human response, isn't it? Look after yourself first. In pastoral ministry and in general ministry, there's been this movement of self-care recently. And again, the problem has come up that people get so fixated on self-care, it's about themselves, but we actually can forget and fall into the trap if we're not careful that we're doing self-care so we can serve others well. And our call is primarily to serve others. And I 
would encourage you to think about that. Some years ago, I had a lady in one of my congregations visited um, a counsellor and the counsellor actually said, all you have to do is look after yourself first and primarily and forget about everybody else. And this lady quickly dropped that counsellor because she said that's not consistent with how she believes life is. Yes, she needs to look after herself, but also in the context of being a person who cares for others. And so Jesus is into this world and he's been there, the Messiah, and the world has an expectation that he's going to be this king that comes into the world and he's going to look after himself and he's going to be strong and he's going to look after them make their lives nice and comfortable. But that's not how it plays out for them initially. Because they're only thinking of the world and the temporal thing. And we too can fall into that trap sometimes in our relationship with Jesus. We can say, I'm following Jesus so long as things are going nice and smoothly and everything's comfortable. I'm following Jesus, but when things become more difficult, I'm going to start following other kings other kings of money, other kings of education, other kings of what entertains me. But look what Jesus does, though. Jesus flips everything right, up. And Jesus' approach to being our king, the Messiah, is he uses his power not for himself, not for himself, or not even for just those who really love him. He uses his power to benefit people. He uses his power to get out of the road and benefit people and help people. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him. They're doing, they're there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, as I read this, I thought, how would I have responded if I was Jesus? Imagine you being persecuted. Imagine you going through difficulty. My prayer to the Father would probably, from a human perspective, if it was not influenced by God, would be, Father, punish them, get rid of them. But not Jesus. Jesus looks at the people who punish him and he asks his Father to forgive them. He's using his power to bring forgiveness to people who don't deserve it. And then the criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into my king when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Again, somebody from a worldly perspective, but also somebody from a godly perspective had committed sin, was up on the cross, had admitted they had done so. And yet Jesus uses his power. to welcome them into his paradise, to his kingdom. And this is something for us to really hold on to. Because at times you may feel you don't deserve God's love, you may have done something that you regret, and you may think God couldn't possibly love me enough. But here's the truth. God will use his power to forgive you and welcome you. There is no sin that God will not forgive of yours. If you look at every Sunday when we come in, we've got 
two crosses. We've got the cross of the crucifixion, which says your sin's been paid for. And we've got the empty cross, which reminds us that Christ has risen and defeated sin and the power of Satan that condemns you. And so we have this life to look forward to because Jesus is a king who gives us life. You see, as the true people's king, Jesus doesn't give us what we want. In fact, sometimes he doesn't give us what we want, but what he does do, he gives us what we need, even when we don't deserve it. And that's most of the time. As we heard in the Colossians reading, it's not just limited, Jesus' gifts to us are not just limited to forgiveness and a spiritual life, but that's his main focus, but he Everything that we have, everything that we've tasted, remember the best food that you've tasted, that was a blessing from God. Everything we experience in this world, every good holiday that we've had, every person who's in our life has been a gift from God. God has given us people, but most importantly, he gives us what we need which is this forgiveness of sins that we can't earn for ourselves, as the scriptures clearly say. But does that mean we then just sit back and do nothing? Does that mean we just say, oh yeah, I follow Jesus the King and I just rely on him? Well, if we go into John chapter 13, there's a very important interaction that happens between his disciples and it's something for us to hold on to. And we usually focus on this around Easter. He's gathered his disciples around the Lord's Supper, and he's, as he's gathered them, he's then gone down and washed their feet. And near the end of this event, he says this, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do so as I have done for you. Now we need to remember this is not about us ticking the box that we've done something to earn God's love or deserve God's love. This is what Jesus is asking his disciples and asking us to do is to serve as he serves, to bring blessings to others who don't deserve it because we have already received that blessing. And so what does all this mean for us living the faith? What does this mean for us as people who God is our king, who Jesus is our king? The first of all is live under Jesus' authority. Live under his authority. Now, some people get really uptight about this. But remember, Jesus' authority is about bringing grace into the world. When we often talk about the reign of a kingdom, often we think about geographical. But another way to think about it is the way of life. And God's way of life is a, is a way of grace, a way of forgiveness, a way of love. And so live under that authority. Remember, in all circumstances, God is with you. And he's your king in all circumstances. Secondly, live knowing that God is acting in your best interest. Now, this can sometimes be hard to take, particularly when you're going through a really difficult patch and you think, 
What's going on? But keep in mind God is still with you. He'll help you through the difficult times, but he always acts in your best interest. Thirdly, live trusting in the power of Jesus who forgives sins. Remember, there is no sin that you have committed that God won't forgive. If you're burdened, if you're worried that you've committed something that may hold you back from God's love, can I encourage you to do a couple of things? First, just lay that before Jesus in your prayers, whether it be a time of confession, whether it be as you come to communion, just lay that before Jesus and let God to forgive you. And if you're still struggling, speak to someone like a pastor, a counsellor, Christian counsellor, who can guide you in this idea of forgiveness that Jesus offers. Fourthly, reflect Jesus' approach in your life. Remember, Jesus' approach is about serving others, not for his benefit, but for our benefit. Live being a person who shares the grace of God, who blesses others and serves others with God's grace to bring blessing and benefit to others, even if they don't deserve it. When I was first in ministry in northern Tasmania, um, because there's only two Lutheran parishes in Tasmania, often mixed with the Anglican churches, and one day I was at a meeting where the um, local, well, the Anglican church, Anglicare was talking. And somebody asked this question to the Anglicare leader and said, how do you know if someone deserves your care? And his comment was, they don't deserve it, but they need it. We don't give it to them because they've done something to deserve it. We give it to them because they're in need. And the reality, spiritually, we're all in need. We all need God's grace and love. And so I'd encourage you to think about the people in your life. What might it mean for you to be a person who is constantly being connected to Jesus, who then uses that connection with Jesus to help others know that they are loved by God? What might it mean for God's grace to resonate in your life So others get to experience that. Not because they deserve it, but because they need it. And so lastly, as you live the faith, help others to connect with King Jesus. Help others to connect with King Jesus. And as I've spoken about a number of other times, remind them or help them see that King Jesus is not about a bunch of rules that everyone has to live up to but more about living in a community of grace, a spiritual community of grace that God gives, gives us. And remind them that Jesus is already serving them. You see, following King Jesus has a real blessing for us. It's a blessing where God says constantly, I love you, I forgive you. I have died for you. You have a future to look forward to with me.
That's what the true people's king does. Does what we need. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift of Jesus coming into this world. We thank you that Jesus is a servant king, a king who loves us and serves us, giving us what we need, a future with you for eternity and making that possible for us. As we live, may we constantly live with a focus of being under your authority and being people who receive this grace regularly and share it regularly. Lord, thank you for your love and the future you've made possible. Thank you that you are the people's king, the true people's king that cares for all people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.